But we want to uh, move on to the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. And so uh, where we are uh, today in this passage is appropriate uh, for the tragic events of this past week. We are at the death of Jesus on the cross. Remember, last week I said each gospel writer focuses in on different details and elements of Jesus' crucifixion in order to communicate important theological truths. So why does our gospel writer, John, describe Jesus' death this way? Why does he spend so much time on confirming that Jesus was dead and commenting on the fluid that came out of his side? Consider these questions as I read John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness... His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we ask that you would help us uh, to come now and sit humbly beneath it. Uh, please, Holy Spirit, apply uh, these words to our hearts and help us to see Jesus crucified for us, risen for us. Help us to live new life in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, if you've been around a while, you've heard me tell a few stories. You remember that uh, I was a wrestler in high school on a very good team. We were state champions, but I remember was the weak link. I was a bad varsity wrestler. There was only one thing I was good at in wrestling, which was not getting pinned. Right? I wasn't good at winning. I lost most matches, but it was hard to pin me. Now, wrestling is a barbaric sport. Uh, many wrestlers cheat during weigh-in and during the match, and the only cheating during the match that I can really mention from the pulpit is biting. Wrestlers bite each other. Um, there's nastiness, including, you know, talk between opponents on the mat. One time, I was being beaten by an opponent, as usual. Uh, he had me on my back trying to pin me, and the position was such that we could look, see each other and speak to each other, and as he was trying to pin me, he said, you're finished. And all I could get out while I was struggling was, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I didn't get pinned, right? He, he didn't pin me. Now, what did he mean by saying to me, you're finished? Outside of the particular context, those words can mean a few different things. You're finished could mean your match is almost done. It's almost over. Or your finish could have meant you're, you've done everything you can do. But of course here, you're finished 
meant you're defeated. Give up now. You will be pinned shortly. As Jesus is dying, he says, it is finished. And the gospel writer John wants us to focus in on that word. In Greek, it's just one word. But John uses that Greek root three times in these first three verses. He wants it echoing in our ears. So, what is finished? What does Jesus mean? What we see here in this passage and is explained throughout the New Testament is death is finished. Death is conquered and defeated. And here the author John is emphasizing at least two things about this conquering of death. One, Jesus really died. And two, it all happened according to plan. So first, Jesus really died. Now, you might say, well, there's nothing controversial about the claim that Jesus actually died. But really, it was controversial for people who had been connected to the gospel writer John's community. We know from his letter, 1 John, that people had left his church community claiming that Christ really didn't come in the flesh in order to claim that Christ really didn't suffer or die in the flesh. In fact, by the year 100 or 120, there were already a number of made-up stories by heretics explaining how Jesus didn't die on the cross. Some said that it was Simon of Cyrene who was pressed into service to carry his cross to Calvary that was crucified in his place. Others said that the disciple Thomas, also called the twin, was mistakenly crucified instead of Jesus, assuming Thomas looked like Jesus. Others said that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but he passed out, and then he woke up alive in the tomb. And others said that Jesus only appeared to die, that the the spiritual divine part of him had left his body before death, before crucifixion. So the Son of God didn't actually die. These stories are trying to get Jesus Christ, the Son of God, off the cross, still alive, and John will have none of it. Well, why these made-up stories? Well, because like we've been talking about, a crucified God was a scandal and incomprehensible in the Roman world. Crucifixion was designed to negate someone's humanity. The suffering, the horror, the degradation, the God-forsakenness made it nearly impossible to accept that this was the experience of the creator of the world. To put it simply, a God who goes to the cross is not a God worth following. In fact, that's a God to get as far away from as possible. And if we witnessed crucifixions regularly, we would probably agree. Years ago, I was with a a few friends, and one of them had an out-of-town friend there who was a doctor. She worked in a hospital. Somehow we got on the topic of death and dying, and as usual, I was mansplaining Uh, this time about death and dying. Talking about that as hard as death is, there could be something so beautiful and redemptive about a group of friends and family gathering around someone as they're departing the world, caring for them. There could be something beautiful about that. And everyone there was agreeing with me, nodding their heads, except the doctor. She was adamant, no, there's nothing redemptive or beautiful about these slow, painful deaths. They're ugly and tragic and awful. From a distance, I can romanticize it, but the person who dealt with death every day utterly refuted it. 
And that's what people in the Roman world would do to us as we speak about the cross as a nice, meaningful religious symbol of love and self-sacrifice. No. The cross is the stuff of our worst nightmares. John is adamant. Jesus, the real, total word, made flesh, son of God, died on the cross. Jesus record that Jesus, John records that Jesus said he was thirsty, so they get him some of the sour wine that would have been there for the soldiers' refreshment. Then he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That sounds like death. But there's also confirmation. That Friday was Passover Eve, and the leaders didn't want men slowly dying on the crosses for days during the festival. The way to speed up death of a crucified person is to break their legs so that they can no longer hoist themselves up to exhale. They will suffocate quickly. Bones of crucified victims with clean, fresh, broken legs from this time have been found in Israel. So this is what will happen to those who are crucified on this Good Friday. The bandits on either side of Jesus have their legs broken. They will die within minutes. The soldiers get to Jesus and he appears already dead. But if Roman soldiers let a condemned person escape death, then they will be executed in their place, so they're not going to take a chance. One of them stabs Jesus with a spear into his ribcage, getting into the lungs and or very near the heart. Jesus is already clearly dead. And then John makes a peculiar comment. At once there came out blood and water. And then he goes on to sound as if this is the most important part of his eyewitness testimony. Verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. He doesn't add this editorial comment at the feeding of the 5,000, or the healing of the disabled man, or even after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. No, what's vital for John to communicate is that blood and water flowed from Jesus' side on the cross after his death. And just a, a side note here, there are a number of medical explanations as to why blood and a clear liquid might flow out of Jesus' wound moments after death. But what's the big deal for John? The big deal is that these people who left John's community were saying that water was enough. Water throughout the gospel stands for the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the opponents were saying, in the water of baptism, you receive the Spirit, just like Jesus did in the River Jordan, and then you become spiritual and the body no longer matters. So water was the important element. But John swears there was blood too. He's saying, you can't have the new life of Jesus, the Spirit, without the death of Jesus. His blood. Did you notice how John described Jesus' literal death? He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His spirit left him at death, not before. The full divinity of the Son of God remained united to the full humanity of Jesus on the cross through death. Jesus really died. But as we've been talking about these last few weeks, Jesus' death is something we'd like to look away from, conveniently forget. All people, Christians and non-Christians, are tempted to think that life happens on two different planes. One is the mental, spiritual, immaterial plane. That's the part that matters. The other plane, the, 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 the physical matter plane, that actually doesn't really matter. 
Our bodies are more like prisons that are decaying that we look forward to escaping. Real life, real meaning only happens on the inside, the invisible parts of us. Well, this is a fundamental mistake. It's a major contribution to a number of the problems that we see in our culture. But to us, our culture, and the culture of the first century, Jesus' death on the cross is the problem. We've done our best to insulate ourselves from death. For the first time in history, we don't have to be surrounded by it on a daily basis. So this allows us to go through most of our lives denying the reality of death. Sometimes people go to extraordinary lengths to even be reminded of death. In 2016, I I read about a program in South Korea that enabled people to act out their own mock funeral. After an instructional lecture and video, participants are led into a dimly lit hall decorated with chrysanthemums where they sit, often tearfully, besides caskets and write their last testaments. These are young people, young adults. Then they put on burial shrouds and lie in coffins. A grim-looking man dressed in a black robe called the Envoy from the Other World hammers the lids closed. The participants are left encased in utter darkness for ten minutes which of course can feel like an eternity. Businesses send their employees to these, right? Can you imagine that for an off-site team-building exercise? (laughs) Many participants say it does lead to a greater appreciation of life, but the article I read said it takes a few minutes for them to readjust after being let out, but soon they're chatting, laughing, taking selfies with their coffins. Death is something very hard to come to terms with, and a field trip probably won't cut it. We'd rather not focus on a Savior who dies and bids us to come and die with Him, who calls us to pick up our cross and follow. We want self-improvement strategies that we have control over and that promise measurable results that don't make us too uncomfortable and that aren't too costly. Following a Savior who dies means growth and maturing will somehow include some kind of death. Shouldn't a meaningful life, an abundant life, leave death behind? Well, that's what some people in John's community were trying to do. They'd rather not follow a God who goes to the cross, who really dies, and we're the same way. But for all of us, times come when death cannot be denied when it is a crystal clear reality and it seems to mock all of our pretending at spiritual growth and life. For some of us, that happened this past week with the shooting and the deaths in Nashville. Is a God who escapes death a comfort to the families of those victims? Can they console themselves with the idea that real life is only spiritual and not physical and that our bodies don't matter much? Would any of us console them that way? No. Instead, we all agree, murder is evil. Killing innocent people is evil because life here in our body matters. Humans made in the image of God are both matter and spirit. So death is an intruder. It is an evil. It is the final enemy, the Bible says. Avoid any religion, any God, any philosophy that minimizes or waves away or valorizes death. A God worth following has to credibly deal with death.
especially tragic, violent, unjust death, because that's a part of the world we live in. And over the years, people point to the tragedy and the violence in the world as an argument against the existence of a good, powerful God. And the gospel writer John's answer to that argument is these verses. Jesus, the Son of God, really died a violent, tragic, unjust, painful death. So that even in the worst tragedies, God is there. He has seen and experienced them from a victim's perspective. And he rose victorious from that. There's nothing that can be said to these Nashville families to take away their pain and anguish. And that's appropriate because death is evil. But if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, then this tragedy and every tragedy and every death is not the final word for those involved. It can so easily feel like death says to us, you're finished. But in really dying, Jesus finishes death. And this finishing death on the cross was a part of the plan all along. It's all according to God's plan. Second point. This is a point that each gospel writer highlights in their own way. Partway through Jesus' earthly ministry, he began telling his disciples that he was going to be killed and resurrected. And as time went on, his predictions became more specific. Jesus was not taken by surprise by his crucifixion, which helps us understand what he meant when he said, it is finished. Because for us, it is finished could simply mean, it's over, finally, it's done. But that's not what's being said here. The Greek word could be translated, it has been completed, even perfected. Jesus is saying, the plan has been fulfilled. The plan to finish death has been successfully concluded. Well, what plan? Well, it's the plan that has been hinted at and promised and told in story and metaphor throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. In the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis 3, God is already promising that a child of Eve's would battle Satan, the source of evil, and though Satan would hurt this child, this offspring, Satan would be crushed by him. We see the plan hinted at in the life of Isaac, the life of Joseph, especially the life of David, and a number of the Psalms that he wrote, like Psalm 22, which is in your bulletin. Throughout the prophets, as well, we see the promise of salvation that comes through suffering, like in Isaiah 53, also in your bulletin. All the way to the very end, that John quotes here from Zechariah, the last or the second to last book of the Old Testament, talking about how the tribes of Israel look upon the one they had pierced who would be their Savior. The suffering death of the Son of God was planned from the beginning. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes clear that He and the Father are one, that they have the same will, which means if this was the plan from the beginning, then this was Jesus' choice from the beginning. Jesus chose to die by torture on the cross. Do we really grasp what that means? Years ago, I had a friend who was fighting cancer. He had a wife and little kids. He was telling me about one particularly bad recent night of pain. You know how they talk about pain on the scale from 1 to 10 or 0 to 10. Well, this pain was at a 10 or 11. No drugs were going to help. And it was so awful, he told me, that he was praying to God, take me. I'm ready. 
And I think about that almost every day. That's so hard to imagine that any amount of pain could make you willing to leave your wife and kids. I deeply respect this person. And if he could be in so much pain that he was ready to leave his family, I assume I could as well. There is an amount of pain in this world that could overwhelm my love for my wife and children. And that kind of pain for us is usually and eventually unavoidable. But Jesus could have avoided it. He had a choice. In another gospel, he said, look, if I wanted to, I could call on my father right now and he would send legions of angels to protect me. But he refused. He could have gotten off the cross. Instead, he chose to go through torture, and not just physical torture, also emotional and spiritual torture. The Father turned away. Darkness came over the land. Jesus experienced the wrath of God towards sin on the cross. He kept himself there when none of us would have or could have. Why? Because he loves us. His love for us kept him there. When our love, even for the most important people in our lives, could never be strong enough to keep us there. He did it to save us. This plan is about redeeming humanity. And that's the other quote here from John at the end, that not one of his bones will be broken. That comes from God's rules about the Passover lamb found in the book of Exodus. Jesus is dying here on Passover Eve at the exact time Passover lambs are being slaughtered for the meal. What was the point of the Passover lamb? Well, it was slaughtered to protect Israelite families from death in Egypt. Its blood covered Israel, leading to their escape from slavery. Shed blood atones for sin, God says in Leviticus. See, Jesus isn't just finishing death on the cross. He's finishing sin, the original cause of death. He's offering himself up as a sin sacrifice, a substitute in our place. Sin and death go hand in hand. If you're going to finish death, you have to also finish sin. All so that God can have eternal union with us, so we can be connected to our Creator, the source of life and goodness. The plan, culminating in Jesus' death on the cross, is to save us and to save the world, spirit and matter, body and soul. If Jesus' crucifixion was a part of the plan all along, then no tragic miscarriage of justice, no violent death is outside of God's sovereign power. That's how Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Israel, explained it to his brothers who sold him into slavery. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God can work through our evil And through his power into eternity, he can bend it for his good purposes. That's what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Even God's enemies can be restored. My dad uh, is an interesting guy to talk to as he reflects on aging, on getting older. And uh, he's mentioned to us a, a few times a saying that he heard that he fully endorses. This is it. As you get older, most of your memories are in black and white but your mistakes, your regrets, are in technicolor. Now, if you grew up in a time when most movies were black and white, that would make more sense. But the point is, our sin seems to stay with us. 
right? Our regrets, our failures, they stick. One person who's in failing health in the hospital and is going to die soon recently told one of us as we were talking to them about Jesus, they said, I don't know if there's enough forgiveness for me. I don't know if there's enough forgiveness for me. Well, maybe you felt that way too at some point. Look at the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, dies there according to plan, out of His love for you, so you can have life and forgiveness in Him. No one's life is out of reach. No matter how they lived, no matter how they died, no one is too far to be redeemed, to be drawn into God's good purposes. To say that death, sin, evil are finished, it's not to say that they are over and happen no longer. It's to say they are conquered, they are pinned, they are defeated. In his crucifixion, Jesus finishes death for you. He is the only one to follow. Let's pray. God, we are grateful uh, for this word, and we are grateful that it points us to the true death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on our behalf on the cross. We ask that you would help us to see that, to not look away, to behold him, and to trust him, and to, to, to walk knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. If, if he went to the cross, then no tragedy, no injustice, nothing can separate us from you. Help us to bring this hope to others, to a needy and dark world. Let us be peacemakers. Let us be bearers of this good news. And help us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.